One of the mysteries that we've been unpacking in this, this, in this series is this question of identity. This question of, am I a good person or a bad person? Am I a, am I a sinner or am I a saint? Am, what am I? Who am I? Am I a human? Am I a Cylon? You know, what, what am I? That was to my fellow Battlestar Galactica nerds out there. Anybody? My people. All right. All right. You, what are we? So we're answering that question. And, and wherever you land on that question, wherever you land, what we can say is that through Jesus and the working of his Holy Spirit, we can be remade into the person that we were always intended to be. This rebirth that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3 in this conversation he has with Nicodemus, this sort of human 2.0, that we can step into that, that life. And, and fundamental to, to who we are is that however broken we are when we come to Jesus, and we all come to him broken to some degree, but however broken we are, that we, we, we are coming to him even then as image bearers of God. Broken image bearers, yes, but image bearers nonetheless. And the you that he turns you into is not just some strange new thing. It's not about you losing your identity or using, losing who you are to become something else. It's actually about you becoming the real you for the very first time. It's about you becoming your true self. Because in, in some sense, we haven't been fully ourselves for a long time fully who we were meant to be. And rebirth, this idea that Jesus is talking about, it reverses that tragedy once and for all. And so there's, there's so much beautiful hope here and so much beautiful promise here. And what my, my hope in this is not just to people who don't know Jesus. I mean, for sure it's to them because he's talking about new re, you know, rebirth. But this series is as much for those of us who have known him for a long time. It's about rediscovering who Jesus is and rediscovering who you are. We're going to get that into a second. This whole idea of rebirth creates a fascinating way of thinking in the New Testament. We get to witness what the early church saw, how they saw themselves as completely remade on the inside. They saw themselves as being new in their heart and their inner being. Uh, and yet they, they were realists. They knew that they were somehow still encased in flesh. That Greek word they use is sarks. Just this natural, the way we are, we would say like your, your basic instinct, your, you know, your basic animal lizard brain. So they would say we're still encased in this flesh. That old self still seems to be there in some sense of the word uh, and it still acts out. But what they see, and this is what's so core, I think, today, to today, um, the core of who they saw themselves wasn't just some divided, like, dualistic, half good, half bad, like the force or something like that. You know, like, they didn't see themselves that way. They actually, the real us, the real who we really are, is perfected. Now, that's a crazy term, right, when we think about ourselves. And they saw that that sinful part of themselves might be more like we would describe a parasite that's kind of still hanging on there. It's still for there for a temporary period of time, but it's not the true self that we're bound to anymore. And so you get these fascinating statements like this in the New Testament. And like 1 John 5.18 says, we know that those who are born of God do not sin. How's that for an emphatic statement? <laughs> the NIV says, anyone born of God does not continue to sin. How are you doing with that? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, a statement like that. Now, it can be very encouraging to people who maybe have wrestled, you know, with addictions or certain things all their life. They could be like, oh, there's hope here. What beautiful hope, right? I, uh, there's promise there's from a new reality. But let's face it, for many of us, most of us, this could be really discouraging. We could think, really? 
well, crud, I'm in trouble, right? I mean, because we think, wait, I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with those impulses. I lose my temper every once in a while. I, I get impatient. I act jealously. You know, it can run the gamut. Uh, I still have these impulses. I've, sometimes I, I just full on fail. Let's just face it. It's not just I'm tempted, but I still feel, I fail sometimes. Maybe I'm not born again. Maybe I'm not saved. But when we read what else these New Testament writers say, there's something beautiful and something really wondrous that begins to take shape. See, in the same breath, if you go and read this chapter, the same breath he says this, John also says, now when you do see a brother or sister sin, here's what you do to go help them. So in the same breath he says, those born of God don't sin. But when you do see a brother or sister sin, here's how you help them, right? Uh, So the reality is that in one sense, sin is always there. Uh, James, the the very brother of Jesus, he says this in in chapter 3, we all stumble in many ways. And the word he uses there in the Greek is simply another synonym for sin. It's one of the words they would use to err, to miss the mark. But at the same time, they seem to think that there is this other core reality, a core you that has been created. And they even use the word perfected. So your job is to identify with that new you. Identify with that new you, the true you, the one who's been given that transplanted heart. You've had a heart transplant straight from God. And it was successful. All right. We believe it was successful. It took. And we live from that heart. We choose to live from that heart. And so we get things like this in Romans chapter 7. We've looked at this scripture many times before in other series. The Apostle Paul says, I struggle so much to do the things that I need to do that I never end up doing those things. And then the things I know I shouldn't do, those are the things I end up doing. But what's interesting is twice, if you read this whole conversation he has, twice in the middle of the passage, he pauses and he says, but if I do the thing that I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it. It is sin living in me that does it. There's that, it's that picture of the parasite, isn't it? It's not I that do it, it's that sin living in me. And so Paul, for Paul, his I, his ego, they would use the word, his true self actually wants what's good. We can see, I mean, a classic example that we can see happening right here around us. You know, the world's being ravaged by this pandemic that's going on, COVID. You know, if you're somebody, if you, if you get COVID and it, and it can ravage your lungs, right? It'd be a horrible thing that it can do to you. Well, we wouldn't say that you're ravaging your lungs. We would say, actually, you, the real you, all those white and red blood cells in your immune system is doing everything it can to combat that thing, right? It's, it's this it's this virus. We might would use that term. They didn't have that in the Old Testament or the New Testament, Old Testament, right? But it's this parasite, not the real you. It's inter- very interesting. And so the trick to growing and maturing in our faith seems to be learning to identify with your perfected, reborn self. We can actually do that. And this is why Paul can say, it's not even me who sins. The, the writer, Eric Geiger, he wrote the best-selling book, Identity. It's a great book. He says, we live out who we believe we are. We live out who we believe we are. Now, on one hand, uh, we also acknowledge that I am accountable for my sin. I'm not 
mindless here. I'm not uh, blameless here because according to Scripture, I have been set free. Scripture claims that I've been set free. And so there is this expectation that that should somehow be evident. That freedom that I've been given should be evident. I should be living out of that freedom, freedom rather than living as if I were still in bondage. But on the other hand, the other hand, do I sin? Well, once I've had this heart transplant, is it me who's sinning? I can only say the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John and the clear teaching of Jesus seems to be no, actually, the, the pure version of me who has been reborn no longer sins. I am perfected in Christ. I am the righteousness of Christ. That's what we get. That's what we hear over and over and over. Now, I recognize this makes some folks nervous. I admit, this makes me nervous as a pastor, right? But guys, when we truly grasp what has happened to us, when we choose to follow Christ, when we invite him to be Lord and Savior of our life, when we grasp what has really happened, the miraculous thing that has actually happened to us, when we choose to follow Christ, we allow his spirit to wash us and to renew us and give us that heart transplant. To that, Then grace and rebirth is no longer just like a license to sin. When you get saved, we, you know, we use that term, we get saved. You don't just get a membership card. Something happens to you. Do we believe that? Do we believe something actually, spiritually, miraculously, supernaturally happens to you? The real you, the core you. I believe it. But, you know, so if you're walking away, so if you get this kind of backwards and you're walking away from Christ's insistence that you have been reborn and you're walking away from Paul's insistence that you no longer even have to identify with that parasite of sin anymore. If you're walking away and if you hear that, your response is, Awesome. I get to keep doing what I want. Well, you know what the problem isn't actually that you're wrong. You do get to keep doing what you want. The problem is that what you want isn't being shaped by the life and love of God. There's something wrong with the want. There's something wrong with our want to, right? So, so Christian spirituality is not about just learning the new set of rules that makes God happy. That's the way of religion. Religion tells you, here's the new list you have to follow. No, no, no. Rebirth actually allows us to do what we want because our wants, what we want, our truest desires of our true self are now being transformed. Isn't that amazing? Now we can choose to live out of our truest self, and that is a person being made to be like Christ, belonging to a church, connected to a church of people helping each other become more like Christ. I've heard that somewhere, right? That's what we're all about. We're all about helping each other become more like Christ. Helping each other, basically, learn who you really are. Get to know your real self, the one Jesus has made you into. So that said, this only works if we've actually experienced the new birth, right? Doesn't that make sense? So this only works if you've experienced the new birth, if we've actually allowed Christ to transform our heart Otherwise, here's where it can get dangerous. If you just tell somebody, well, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. That could be pretty bad advice, right? That's, that's classic advice we give in our culture. How many times have you heard someone tell you that? Or maybe you've told somebody that. Well, just, what does your heart tell you to do? Just follow your heart. And that sounds like a really beautiful, like, you know, nice way to live. Uh, except when you read passages like in Jeremiah that says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
<laughs> just follow your sick old blackened heart. What is that telling you to do, right? Do whatever it tells you. So that kind of advice can be devastating, you see, without first reaching outside of ourself, not just, you know, follow, what's, follow your inside, reaching outside to Christ and allowing him to fill you with your Holy Spirit and give you a heart transplant. And so who's, who's my practical example in how to live? How do I know, like, how I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to look, practically speaking, every day? Well, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's why we say we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author of our faith, the example for us to follow. But see, at the same time, we're also experiencing rebirth from the inside out. The Holy Spirit is transforming our hearts into someone whose desires we can actually trust. You can actually trust that heart when it's being transformed. You really can follow your heart and not your parasite, right? Don't follow the parasite. And so we get to what Jesus teaches Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It's why it's so important for how we work out our faith. So if you have your Bibles, we'll continue there. You can open them up. John chapter 3. Today we're at verse 9. Uh, we'll just get to the next few verses today. Uh, by the way, just a reminder, Q&A Sunday, we'll have it at the end of the series. Uh, September 5th, I believe that'll be. So Q&A Sunday. So be uh, sending in your questions as we're going through this stuff. You know, this, it should, hopefully, this is like triggering all kinds of questions. Like, hmm, what about that? What, well, why does this say this here and that here? And well, how do we practically, all these kind of questions you have. There are no dumb questions. Just the, the only dumb thing is to not ask questions. So, you know, come up with what, what your questions, send it in. You can do it all electronically or online. Uh, you can also write it down and put it in the offering bucket. We'll get it. But anyway, but that's exciting. We always have a good time on those, those Sundays. By the way, if you missed either of the first two uh, parts of this series, I encourage you to go back and listen to those podcasts because uh, they will be very instructive in context to, as we go forward because we're not really spending a lot of time unpacking uh, what we already talked about. We're not going back uh, and recapping, um, but it'll help you go forward. What I will do today, I want to do just to kind of get us up to speed. I want to reread the first eight verses without comment and uh, that we've studied so we can see this con conversation in uh, context. Let's, let's start. John chapter 3 verse 1 says, now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above or born again. Nicodemus said, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born and Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what's born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be astonished that I tell you, that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. That's where we've made it so far. Um, by the way, how did you do in your homework uh, during the week with the, uh, with the water, the idea of the water? Uh, we already had a couple of questions being sent in about that. That's, that's good to see. What did you decide Jesus might be talking about? There was, there was four interpretations there. We talked about Christian baptism, John's baptism, the washing of the Spirit, physical birth. Uh, we worked through this in our home life groups. We had a great time in our home life group talking about this um, last week. I hope it was some profitable discussions for you. Um, someone asked, I, I think I would tend to be 
uh, lean toward the, the fourth option, that, that fourth uh, about the, the physical birth. I think all of these things, though, are these four explanations are touched on and would be agreed with Jesus and the apostles at different times. I just think in context, it feels like a, feels like a number four to me. Um, but there's something to be appreciated in every one of these interpretations here. Now, how does Nicodemus respond after this? Here we are today. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? His mind is fully blown right now. How, by the way, this how can this be right here is the, is the last time we're going to hear from Nicodemus in this discussion. Um, what's beautiful about this is John writes, the way he writes this passage, he has Nicodemus end on a question which just allows us, the reader, to just kind of sit right there at the feet of Jesus to wait for his response. And then after this, Nicodemus just sort of fades back into the night that he came from, right? And so we, we get to the, the truth of, from Jesus just starts pouring out here. How can this be? What a beautiful, wide-open question. And it allows Jesus to, to say some interesting things. He answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus is like, you don't, why don't you understand this? There seems to be a sense of expectation here uh, that you should know this stuff, Nicodemus. Why aren't you getting this? Now, why does Jesus seem to think that Nicodemus should understand these things? Well, the reason is because the promise of what Jesus is talking about, this is really not out of left field. The promise of, what it, of all of this it was embedded in the Old Testament. It's embedded in the Old Covenant. The, the, the prophets had been promising this for centuries from Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Joel that the Spirit was coming right? Just a couple of examples here. And these are just sort of summarized. Uh, you can go back and read these later if you like. But, but like Jeremiah 31 says, a new covenant is coming. It's going to be written on our hearts. And it'll have this emphasis of forgiveness. Ezekiel 36 says that clean water will be given to us, poured out to us. It'll wash us. So there's this cleansing with this new covenant. We'll be given a new heart. There's that heart transplant and the new, new spirit will be put in us. So Jesus is kind of calling out Nicodemus here for being, he's an educated spiritual leader, but it kind of looks like apparently he has been living in denial, either ignorance or he has not been living in expectation that these promises would ever actually come to true, come to pass, right? And then Jesus says this in verse 11, he says, very truly, I tell you, there he's amen in himself. Amen, amen, this is good. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. Hmm, there's we. Who's the we there? We'll talk about that in a second. And testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. By the way, that you right there is plural. Jesus is shifting now, right? It's, it's the Greek version of y'all, right? We got, we got the plural in, in Southern English. Jesus shifts from talking to Nicodemus to he's consciously speaking to a wider audience here. He seems to be saying, Nicodemus, you and I are having this private conversation, but you're representing a whole group of people who claim that you're seeking, but you, you seem to have a hard time accepting who I really am and, and what it is I'm really offering here. So, and then notice Jesus shifts to a we here too. This we, it's as if Jesus is saying, is, is recognize that he also now represents a group of people, the people who have searched for these answers and found these answers and are moving in this direction together. 
And Jesus is saying it's not just about believing on me and following me. When you do that, you're also, it's also about whether or not you are going to make this bold stand and identify as part of the body of Christ. When you, when you accept Jesus, you, you get part of a we, right? You become part of a we. You join a we. And he says in verse 12, If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, so how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? So he's been telling him about earthly things. How, can I, how are you going to believe about the heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who had descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here real fast. He, he speaks about earthly things and heavenly things here. What are those? Well, the earthly things that Jesus has been in this conversation about is this business of being born again. Born again. They've been, they've been talking about this. A person's new birth. This is an event that happens right here in the, in the here and now. It, it influences us here on this earth. So what are the heavenly things he's talking about? Well, he hints at what he's talking about in the very next sentence. He says, no one's ever gone up to heaven. No one's ever gone to heaven to like access direct revelation from God and then brought it back down to us. It's just me. Just me. Who, who, and I, because I've come from heaven. I didn't have to go up there and get it. I'm the only one who's come from there. There's, there's no prophet, no teacher, no guru, no pastor, no holy man. Nobody who can give you the direct revelation from God that I can. And so, because remember we talked about in a couple weeks ago that Nicodemus still, at this point, still sees Jesus as a teacher. A great teacher from God, for sure, but still just a teacher. So Jesus is saying, okay, you, you, fine, I'm a teacher. Let me teach you some things. I mean, listen to what I'm telling you. But see, Nicodemus is having such a hard time with these earthly things, this idea of being born again. Jesus is like, you for sure are not ready for the heavenly information I could drop on you right now, right? I mean, for example, the fact that I am more than a teacher. We can start with that. I could really blow your mind right now, Nicodemus, right? If, if you want to get into exactly who you are sitting in front of talking, the, the God of the universe, the ground of all being, right? That, that he, he couldn't handle it. His, his brain would melt. And then how does Jesus identify himself? He calls himself this fascinating title, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. It's a fascinating title that Jesus uses over 80 times when referring to himself throughout the four Gospels. 80 times. It's the primary way he identifies. In fact, with few exceptions, it's the only way he identifies himself. Um, and you'll talk about this some more in Home Life too, the significance of the Son of Man. But we will say this, that it's, it's a way of capturing both his human identity and his divine identity, right? When he was baptized in the river, remember the voice identified him as the son of God. And others were like, this, this must be, the, some of the disciples even recognized him as the son of God. But Jesus is also saying, I'm the son of man. This phrase comes from the Old Testament. It's, he, he adopts it from Daniel chapter 7. And there's this passage. Daniel's talking about the coming Messiah. This figure who is, who's going to be given authority from heaven to rule God's kingdom on the earth. And Daniel has this dream about these terrible, grotesque beasts that represent all the empires of the world that just come and devastate God's good world. But this son of man comes to overthrow their rule, to take the throne, and he is worshipped as the king of all creation. And so Jesus points to himself here. 
as the one who has descended from heaven. He's referring to his incarnation, right? Born as a baby, flesh and blood. And he foretells even his coming ascension back into heaven when his mission is fulfilled. And this really touches on something Jesus insists on people knowing about himself. This was also very important for the early church. They, the, uh, well, the early church, they wanted to make sure people didn't misunderstand the nature of Jesus. This was a very important point, and apparently it was important to Jesus. It was already, by the time we get into the early church in the days of Paul and some of the later apostles, we already see there's these uh, heresies that are starting to creep up, that maybe Jesus wasn't really flesh and blood. He wasn't a real person, right? He, maybe he was just sort of like this spiritual being floating around, pretending to be human, but he was kind of like an angel. But it was really important that they... They insist Jesus really was flesh and blood. They didn't want people to misunderstand that. Interestingly, the, uh, the term son of man in the Hebrew is ben Adam, means son of Adam, which means ground or earth or human. So Jesus wants everybody clear on the fact that he wasn't an angel. He wasn't a spirit walking around. He was flesh and blood. He was God incarnate. That word carnate, you know, if you ever had chili con carne, it's like something delicious with meat in it. So Jesus was like real meat. He was muscle. He was incarnate. And Jesus is the divine connection between the, the earthly things and the heavenly things. He's, he's both rolled into one. The spiritual partnering with the physical. And he's the one who is both son of God, son of man, which reminds us of our destiny. What we're called to as human beings created in God's image to partner with him as he intended in this world. So, now, later in the New Testament, the, uh, the early church reflected back on all these things that Jesus said. And we can catch a glimpse of how those new believers really saw themselves. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 that we were sinners. He, if you read that scripture, he talks about a whole bunch of sins, a bunch of different sins, but he says, now you're completely washed and justified. You're not that anymore. Over, over in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, God made his light shine in our hearts. And Romans 5 says, God poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God has been poured into who we are. Romans 6.11 says, we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. Galatians says, I, I, am, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He takes it to the next level, right? And, and, and Galatians 4 says, Paul talks about how he labors and he prays for the other believers. And he's saying, I'm praying until Christ is formed in you. Christ is in you now. His spirit is in you. And now you're taking his shape. You're actually being shaped into the sh the, this Christocentric creature, right? And, and Paul feels an honor of getting to be a part of helping that happen. This is beautiful stuff. And so we're talking about this new way of thinking about what God's doing inside us to see that his spirit is at work. It's at work within you. It's at work within you to help you become yourself, your true self. If there's one concept I just hope you walk away with today, God wants to help you become your true self. To help you be reborn. 
and then to help you live out what you've already become. You've already been made in the image of God. Now it's time to live outwardly from that center, live from that identity. So when we read, for instance, about the character of God, we read beautiful things about God. We have to keep in mind, we're not just like this little puppet whose strings are being pulled by the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we behave in the right way. We're talking about that character, the character of God, now being our character. He's breathed life into us so that we are finally real. We're like a bunch of Pinocchios, right? I'm a real boy. We're finally real. We're the realest version of ourself ever. And so, for instance, we look at things like the fruit of the Spirit, which my beautiful little daughter can recite so fast, super fast. She's good at this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And by the way, there's, there's some good scholarship that seems to suggest that all of these are really just facets of that first one, of love. That love is the fruit of the Spirit, and everything stems from that. So when we look at this fruit of the Spirit, how many of us look at that and we think a little, we kind of feel a little bit like, whew, okay, that's a lot to live up to. I got to try really hard to be all those things. <laughs> but now, according to Scripture, this isn't something that's foreign to us. If I'm truly born again, this isn't me pretending to be like this. This is who I am because that's who God is. God is those things, and so that's who I am. I'm made in His image, and now I'm not a slave to sin anymore. That's the good news is you're not a slave. You're free. You're not a slave. There's, sin keeps us from acting like these things, but we're not a slave to that. This is us getting to know our true selves, people made in the image of God who is love. Now, you know what's not on this list? What are some things not on there? Anger, fear, paranoia, pride, lust. It's not there. How would it change who you are as you think about these things? Not only that this is what God wants me to be like, not only that this is what God wants to do in me, but if you really thought, this is who I am. If you woke up every morning and said, this is who I am. I'm not a person who loses his temper. I'm not a person who procrastinates. <laughs> I'm not a person who worries and is anxious. Ultimately, how would it help us grow if you said, here's what I'm not. I'm not angry. I'm not. You're, now, you're, right now, your spouse may beg to differ, right? They'll be like, I'll live with you. But you'd be like, yeah, but I, according to scripture, I am not an angry person. I am not an angry person that has to pretend to be peaceful. I'm actually, in my heart of hearts, not angry. I am just encased in this flesh, this sarks, and I keep listening to the wrong voice. What the Holy Spirit is doing in me, he's wanting me to become who I truly am. So I'm not fearful. I'm not racked with anxiety. The real me that Christ has, has reborn through his spirit, is a person of peace. I am a person of peace. That's who I truly am. I'm not a greedy person. I'm not a needy person. I'm not a lazy person. I'm not a person who has to have, who has to grasp, 
who has to win. I'm actually a very content person. I don't feel like it. (laughs) But this scripture says that I am. If I have said yes to Jesus and allowed him to give me that transplanted heart, I am a content person. I am satisfied. I'm satisfied with what I have. If I were really to get to know my true self. So this morning, as we conclude, there's somebody I would love you to meet. Do you know who that is? You. I'd love for you, and I'd love for me, I'd love for all of us to get to know our true selves, made in the image of God, recreated by the Holy Spirit, perfected in Christ, our true heart. One of the most common questions I hear from folks that I get asked, I hear from people about Christians is, why are so many Christians so unchrist-like? Why, why doesn't this just happen automatically? And there may be many answers to that. There are. One, one is that people who, uh, some people who call themselves Christians may not actually have any sort of relationship with Christ. That's true. But maybe they're not keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus. Maybe they're Christians, but they're not keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus. So they're confused as to what voice to listen to on the inside. They're listening to that parasite. They're listening to the parasite instead of Jesus because they're not learning what the voice of Jesus looks like and sounds like and acts like. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And so that takes some effort. That takes some practice and intentionality. We have to look to Jesus and say, I repent. I want to listen to your voice. I want to listen to your voice. Now, some of us, we've got that down. We know Jesus, all right, but we still struggle because we haven't actually gotten to know ourselves. We're still unclear on who we are, right? We see ourselves as just sinners that somehow are just being tolerated by God. He's like, I guess, come on in, right? That basically we're just the same creatures as we were before. We've just made some mental decision to be part of the club. And that we are just destined to to live and strive and struggle and fail because we are that creature who who fails and we are that creature who sins and whose every inclination is nothing but evil, you know. But we haven't slowed down to actually say, wait a minute, what are my genuine desires here? Who's the real me? I need to go know me. What are my genuine desires? Right? Who is the the parasite that still craves? to go his own way, and who is the me who craves the way of Christ? So we haven't actually gotten to know ourselves in a long time, and it's about time. I'd like to introduce you, introduce you to you. Do we really believe Jesus' promise? This is a good question. Listen, do we believe that his promise that he would make you a new creation? That old things are passed away. That all things are become new. Do we believe him or not believe him? I mean, that's pretty simple. You either do or you don't. Do you believe his promise that you're a new creation? So we might say it this way. The goal of people who've been given this new life, who've been given that heart transplant, is to help each other get to know our true selves. 
to better hear the voice of love coming from our own newly transplanted hearts. That's a, that's a good spiritual goal right there. So I have to slow down. So what does this mean if you break this down? I gotta, first, I've got to slow down enough so that I actually do begin to hear what, what Jesus really wants and what the real me really wants. I've got to spend some time not just being thrown to and fro by life, you know, and just going along with whatever is the first instinct I have, but really slow down and ask, what does the real me want here? And I want what Jesus wants. I want what Jesus wants. And I believe you do too. If, if, if you've made him your Lord, the real you wants what Jesus wants. And, and then I have to get connected with other people because we are made in the image of love. We're made in the image, we're made for relationship. It's, it's a relational revelation for relational beings. That just is, that's just what it is. Who discover the fullness of who God is and, and who Jesus is, but it's in the context of relationship. And if we're not doing it in relationship, if we're not doing this in community, if we're trying to like live this spiritual, like me and God kind of life, if we're not doing it in community, we're being false to who we are. We're listening to the parasite and not the promise. The Apostle Paul, he puts it beautifully this way in Ephesians. Chapter 4, he says, You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, which has been corrupted by deceitful lust. Just get rid of it, he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and clothe yourselves with the new self, the new self created according to the likeness of God. So it's in God's image, in true righteousness and holiness. This is who you really are. If you've invited him to be your Lord, this is who you really are. And this, friends, is the role of community. To, to just take, even to do something as good as take your Bible and say, well, I'm going to study my Bible. Even just to do that all by yourself. Did you know that this idea of just sitting and reading your Bible all alone by yourself is, is like a new concept in the first time in 2,000 years, you're turning what was always meant to be an act of community, to be done in community, you're turning, turning it into a solo act. The very Bible that you're reading all by yourself testifies to the fact that you were made for community. That very Bible you were reading testifies that we have no revelation of Christ outside of this community, right? It is the church, it is the community who assembled the scriptures and preserved the scriptures and protected them for centuries and centuries so that we have them today, right? The Holy Spirit working through the church, through the church. And so we have to admit this. We take this book with us into community. We learn together that God may, because may, he might want to say things through you to other people as well. Because it happens in community. That's one of our core values, to learn from Scripture as a community, gathered together. It is how Jesus has been revealing himself since the very, very beginning. He's always done it in community. And, and just because we have the printing press, which is a great invention, but that's no excuse for us to invent this sort of privatized spirituality that's disconnected from relationship. So be careful of that. That's false to who Jesus is. It's false to who God is and, and who you were made to be. We're made to live it out in community. Next week, um, as you know, we're joining with thousands of other churches all over the country. Uh, it's, it's back to church Sunday here at Generations. So this is it. This is next week. We've come down to the wire. You're down to the final hours. 
of inviting somebody to come and experience a taste of this community that we're talking about. So I challenge you, love your neighbor enough to pray for them and to invite them. Give them an invite card. We've got them in the North Foyer. Go get, go get as many as you need. Give them a card and invite them. Offer to give them a ride next week if they need one. There's, there's still some out there. Um, invite cards on the North Foyer. You can grab. Uh, you know somebody. I know you know somebody who doesn't go to church. And of course, we are just talking about people who don't have a church. We won't steal anybody else's folks from other churches. If People who don't have a church, and maybe they've never gone to church before. Maybe they have no clue what church is like. Or maybe they did like a long time ago, but maybe that got burned. That's a lot of folks. That's a lot of folks. And you could be the beginning of them unlearning what church is all about and learning again what Jesus is really all about, who Jesus really is. That's, that's kingdom living right there. Okay, guys? There are no spectators in the kingdom. When you, when you join Team We, <laughs> Team Kingdom, this, if you follow Christ, this is the mission. It, it, this is the mission. There are no spectators in the kingdom. There's no uh, like National Guard reserves. You're just waiting to be called up. Everybody's active duty. Everybody's an ambassador. This is kind of the only job, really. It's, it's the one assignment that we're all given. So, because people need to learn. People need to know how God really sees them. There's so many people out there who don't know, and, and our hearts should break for those folks who don't know how much God loves them and, and how Jesus wants to completely help them experience a new, a new them, a new re, a rebirth, give them a new fresh heart. He wants to liberate them in a whole new way of living, a whole new way of seeing themselves. Amen? Amen. Let's, will you bow your heads and pray with me? Hallelujah. Father God, we love you so much. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. I know we've talked about a lot of different things this morning, Lord God, but I thank you that there's something that each of us here will, will live, leave with, Lord, that we'll have a greater understanding of how you see us and how we can see ourselves. I, I ask that your Holy Spirit help us just reject that lie that we're, we're people who are just naturally, we're just unfaithful and fearful and anxious and angry and upset and impatient, Lord God, that we would be able to say, just like the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul, and the clear teaching of Jesus, Lord, we would be able to say that we are remade. We are renewed. We are not those old things. That we are what love looks like. That we're made in your image. That this is who we truly are. And Lord, we repent. I repent for those, those times, those moments when I have not been living in tune with my true self. I pray, Lord, this would be a week for everyone here of discovering more about Jesus, a week of learning more about your Holy Spirit in us, a week of getting to know our true selves better. And we look forward to being everything, to being all that you've made us to be, Lord God, and give us the love and the courage to invite other people around us during the week to come and experience this love as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Our prayer partners are coming forward right now, if you guys would. If there's anything at all you need prayer for, we invite you to come forward and let them pray for you.
if you would like to, if you've never experienced this new birth that we're talking about, this, this letting Jesus just wash you and, and just turn you into this brand new, beautiful creature, this, this you that you were always meant and destined to be, I invite you to come forward and let these guys pray with you. They would love to pray with you and help you that next, that next step there. Um, friends, if you would, stand to your feet and I'll offer you a benediction today. It's out of 2 Corinthians 13. 14. It says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and may the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you in this world that we're living in. Amen. Grace and peace. Go be the people you were meant to be. Bye-bye.